worship the Lord from your heart. Surrender that area that you're withholding from the Lord. Just receive his love right now. Lord, we just praise you and we exalt you as being a worthy God. You're worthy of our all. And you've said to worship you, and to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we come before you today to do that. We love you, God. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, his precious blood shed to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so we give you honor and we give you praise. And Lord, now as we bring our offering before you, we do this with joy. And we bless you and we pray blessing over our children now, Lord. God, that you capture their hearts at a young age that they never stray from you. Never, never, never stray from you. So we bless you, Lord, and thank you. And now, Lord, we receive your word. God, our hearts are ready. The soil is ready. And we thank you for your holy word. And now we invite the Holy Spirit to empower the word of God to be that seed that is sown deep in our heart that would produce great fruit for your glory. And that, God, we be empowered today to serve you as we leave this building. We give now a joy in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Ushers, receive the offering. Children, you are dismissed out that door for Children's Church if you wish to go. Thank you, worship team, for bringing us into the presence of the Lord. I want you to take out your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 2. We are going to dive into God's Word. 1 John chapter 2. We are in a series called True Christianity, the real deal. We're learning in 1 John what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And as we talk about that today, we are going to see today four evidences of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Because we have a problem in America today. And the problem in America is that many people profess with their mouth one thing. They'll claim to be a Christian. They will say they've prayed a prayer, a sinner's prayer maybe. But maybe they aren't truly born again. And now as we talk about this today, it's going to be very, very important. Listen closely. If you get nothing else out of this message, make sure you get this. We are looking from 1 John at evidences of a true believer. That's a big theme of this book of 1 John. You'll notice as you read through the book, the repeated phrase, this is how we will know. This is how you know. One person can claim something, but then they walk another, and there's an, an inconsistency. What's going on? Now listen, the outward evidences are not what save you. You don't get saved by trying to be religious and trying to produce the things that we'll look at today. It is a change that occurs on the inside out. It's as the life of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is in you, that's what produces these evidences that we talk about. Am I clear? Jesus said you can tell a tree by its fruit. But he also said many will come on that day and say, Lord, did we not even do miracles in your name? And he said, I never knew you. So in one sense, there's a person who seems to give evidence like even miracles, signs and wonders, but he said, I never knew you. But then in 1 John, he says, well, many claim one thing with their mouth, but they're not giving evidence with their life. 
So it's important that we understand that the, what it means to be a true follower of Jesus is putting your faith and trust in Christ alone, receiving as a free gift salvation in Jesus, and then the life and the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit produces evidence from the inside out. Does that make sense? Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. So there is a biblical basis for doing self-examination, kind of saying, wait a minute, am I, how do I know that I'm truly a child of God? What gives you the assurance, and it better be based on the Word and not your feelings or just what somebody said. And so we're going back to the Word. He says, to see whether you're in the faith, test yourselves. There's a proper place for self-examination. Do you not realize, now here's the key, that Christ is in you. Unless, of course, you fail the test. 1 John chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers are going to, do we have the ushers ready? Bring a Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And in this Bible, it is page 121. Let's stand together. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, 1 to 11. We're going to pick up where we left off last week and then continue through verse 11. 1 John 2, 1 to 11. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, beloved. I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You may be seated. All right, we're going to see today four things, four evidences of a true follower of Jesus. Today, some of you may realize, wait, I'm not a true believer. Get born again, receive the gift of God, and watch God produce changes on the inside out. Number one, the first evidence from our passage, it's in verses 1 and 2, is that a true follower of Jesus receives Christ's righteousness. Now, this is key because this is what fuels all the others. Watch closely as we demonstrate this just like we did last week. You and I are a body. This is what we see on the outside. But inside of us is a soul. That's our mind, will, and emotion. Furthermore, inside of that is our spirit. The Bible says that we are born with a sin nature. We need a Savior, Jesus Christ. When you repent of your sins, receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
Then he it says he died for your old nature. Your old nature is dead. He removes the old nature. He gives you a new spirit, a new nature, and this is what is righteous in Christ. Your sins past, present, and future are forgiven. He sees you as a saint. He sees you as righteous because your old man is dead and you are new in Christ. This is what produces the change from the inside out. The Bible says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so the first step in becoming a follower of Jesus is receiving the gift of salvation in Christ. You can't earn it. You, can't, you don't deserve it. It's not by being religious. It's a relationship with God. You receive it by repenting of your sins, receiving Christ, putting your faith and trust in Christ alone. And when you do that, he gives you a new nature. The power and the presence of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And it's this presence and this power that produces the changes and the evidences that we're going to see for the rest of this message. That's the good news of the gospel. You are a new creation in Christ. You are righteous in Jesus. You are a saint. You are accepted before God. Righteousness means you are in right standing with God. He loves you. He accepts you. And the more you realize your new identity, the more you then want to yield to that and allow him to produce changes from the inside out. Now, last week, we use that word defense attorney. That's the word advocate. Jesus is our defense attorney. And a woman painted this painting based upon that concept. We are, we're that little figure. Jesus' arm is around us if we're saved. We're standing before God and the accuser, Satan, is pointing accusations, bringing against us things that we have done and he's accusing you and he's wanting to condemn you and say you're unworthy and Jesus is our defense attorney and he clothes us in his righteousness and we are declared accepted and righteous before God based upon the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so the first Evidence of a true believer is that you receive the righteousness of God. From that comes number two. A true follower of Jesus obeys Jesus. Now, does this mean perfect obedience? Of course not. Verse 1 says, if we say without, we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. We understand today that sanctification takes time. It's a process. And we're not talking about obedience in some legalistic, religious manner where it's like, okay, good little Christians do this and I got to obey this list and check off and it's a do's and don'ts. That's religion. That's what the Pharisees did. It's a relationship with Jesus that fuels obedience. Listen, because I'm married to Dee, Dee I want to do things that please her. I don't do things to get married. I don't do things to please her to get married. We're already married. We're in relationship. And the more that relationship is a love relationship, the more I want to do things that please her. It's the same with God. By the way, this is one reason why I believe this book of 1 John and others defends what I call and others call lordship salvation. Let me explain. When you receive Jesus, you don't just receive him as Savior to get out of hell free card. You receive the person of Christ, and he is both Savior and Lord. 
Now, that lordship is a process, and it grows over time, and we understand that. I don't believe the, the phrase, if he's not lord of all, he's not lord at all. That's not accurate, because he's, he's progressive, we're progressively yielding to his lordship. But if you just pray, I think many people have false conversions because they pray the sinner's prayer because maybe somebody told them about hell and they don't want to go to hell, but there really wasn't a surrender of their will to Jesus. And when Jesus called his disciples, he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Cross means death, death to self. There has to be an initial yielding to God, I believe, for there to be true conversion. That's just my opinion. Now listen, watch this next phrase on the slide. You don't obey to get saved, but if you're saved, you will obey. Just like baptism. You don't get baptized to get saved, but when you're baptized, then you want to get, or when you're saved, then you want to get baptized. Now, here's the key, and listen closely. Furthermore, we find in our passage that obedience should flow out of a love relationship with Christ. Look at verse 5, where it says, Whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 14, verse 15. The same author of 1 John wrote the Gospel of John, and in John 14, 15, we see how important it is that obedience flow out of relationship. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So look at this diagram. I believe this is the way God's designed it to work. We know in 1 John 4 that we love God because he first loved us. So first of all, it's understanding how much God loves you. How much God loves you. He demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's as we understand the love of God, demonstrated primarily in the gospel, that we then in turn respond to that in loving God. And it's our love for God that should fuel our obedience. And that as we obey, it just further enhances the love relationship with God. Just like in my marriage. As it's because I love Dee Dee that I want to do things that please her. And as we both do things that please the other, it fuels that love relationship within our marriage. It's the same with God. So we're not talking about obeying to get saved. But we are saying, and 1 John says, that if you are saved, you will want to obey God. Now again, nobody bats a thousand. <laughs> Sanctification takes time. But one of the evidences of a true believer is that they will desire to obey God. Amen? Is that clear? So is there that desire in your heart? Have you experienced that desire to obey God? But again, it's not an obedience to get Him to love and accept you. It's an obedience from relationship. Number three, the third evidence from our passage, is becoming more like Jesus. In verse 6, there's this little phrase, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Again, why does John need to address this? Because at the time he wrote this book, you had so many people who were claiming one thing, but their life did not demonstrate a true relationship with Christ. And here he says, walking in the same way in which he walked. In other words, your life 
is becoming more like Christ. By the way, it's this verse that led to the writing of the famous book by Charles Sheldon in 1896 called In His Steps, where he sought to, 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 to live a year of his life, and he challenged his congregation that in any given situation to ask the question, what would Jesus do? The subtitle is, what would Jesus do? So WWJD is not a new thing. It was stolen from Sheldon, who wrote this in 1896, and it was actually one of the, it sold 50 million copies. It was one of the best, it's one of the best-selling books of all time. And as he challenged his people to, to ask the question, what would Jesus do? They came up, they, they had an amazing testimonies of people experiencing God. And again, it wasn't a fleshly empowered, religious got to do what Jesus did and it be a fleshly thing. No, it was to be empowered by the Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, fueled by a relationship with Christ where it was allowing God to change the person from the inside out. This is what 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says. It says, as we behold His glory, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another by His Spirit. Did you hear that? As we behold His glory, as we get to know Him, as we get to see His love, as we understand His nature, we are being transformed from one degree of Christ-likeness to another degree of Christ-likeness. We are growing in our, in our values, in our thoughts, in our character, in our lifestyle, more and more being conformed to the image of Jesus. But then ultimately, and here's the key in 2 Corinthians 3.18, by His Spirit. It's the inner work of the Holy Spirit that produces these changes. Similar to Philippians 2, 13, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation. Does that mean you work to get saved? No. It means you work out what's in you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's the life of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit that even gives you the desire to obey Him and gives you the power to obey Him. And as you do that, your life becomes more and more like Jesus. And so, again, we remind ourselves there's three aspects of salvation. There's justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is what happens at a moment in time when you're born again and receive a new nature. Sanctification is that ongoing long process that we all wish would happen quicker, don't we? Where we feel like, man, we're not making much progress. Sanctification is that slow, lifelong process of becoming more and more like Christ. And so we got to make sure that we keep those two separated. But if there is, and here's what the point of this book is, if there's true justification, it will manifest in some of these evidences that happen within sanctification. Does that make sense? That's not clear. Start texting questions that you want to ask at the end if we have time today. Now, I offered a $100 reward about a month ago, and I now owe $100 to Sharon Byers because she was able to come up with a PowerPoint slide to demonstrate this. So I want you to look very closely. Thank you, Sharon. Look at this. Watch that inner circle. Isn't that awesome? As we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, again, what happens in that spirit circle is what happens when you're born again. You receive a new nature, 
And as you yield to the Spirit, and as you walk with Jesus, and as you have that relationship with God, the Spirit of God begins to affect your mind, affect your emotions, affect your will, and even affect your physical body because they've done a number of studies that people who live by biblical principles are just healthier. They're mentally healthier. They're emotionally healthier. They're relationally healthier. And this occurs over time. Final sign or evidence of a true believer today is that a true follower of Jesus loves Christ's body or people. Look at verses 9 and 10. Whoever says he is in the light hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Full disclosure. As a teenager growing up in my dad's Lutheran church, I distinctly remember hearing this very passage and being convicted. I was religious. I would have said I was a Christian, but I was not born again. And I remember this very verse convicting me because at that time, I at times hated my brother, my literal blood physical brother, Steve, who's three years older than me. He was much more athletic than me. He got a full gymnastics scholarship to come to the University of Georgia. He was the number one state all around in gymnastics his senior year of high school. And I was always wanting to be as athletic as him and never was. And I literally remember going to some of his sports events and cheering for the other team because I didn't like the attention he got when he won. I got born again my senior year of high school. I yielded my life to Christ. I received the righteousness of God. I came to the University of Georgia and began to grow as a new believer. And I will never forget the time when I went to one of his gymnastics meets at Stegman Hall and sincerely cheered for him because God had produced a change on the inside of my heart. And that's what happens when you're truly born again is that you begin to see people different. Now, do we love everybody perfect? Of course not. Are there people that absolutely annoy us and drive us crazy? Yes. And I was listening to a podcast this week by D.A. Carson on 1 John, and he made a great point. He goes, there's no other institution on the planet that has a more diverse group of people and even some really weird people than the Church of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, you just got a weird assortment of people, and yet we're called to love them all. Now, we don't have to like them all. We may not have chemistry with everybody, but we're called to love them all. And how can we do that? The only way we can do that is if God's love settles in our heart and gives us the ability to see people the way he does. And this is a process also. And so here's a practical way to approach somebody that you have trouble loving. Because I remember when I even got saved and still had trouble loving my brother. And I never forget the time I said, God, I can't love Steve. But you call me to love him, and I ask you to produce in me a supernatural love for my literal physical brother. And he did. And so you yield it to God. You say, God, I can't. I can't love this person the way you've called me to. They annoy me. They get under my skin. I actually don't like them. But I'm, I'm, I'm inviting you. I surrender this to you, and I invite you to love them through me and watch what he does. Now, remember Jesus' command, love your neighbor What's the rest of that, Ann? As you love yourself. Now, I get that there's this 
pop psychology. Got to love ourselves. Got to love ourselves. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about, Jesus said, I think a key here, you can't really ultimately love someone until you properly love yourself. And the way to properly love yourself is see yourself as who you are in Christ and realize how much he loves you. And when you begin to accept how he views you and you begin to accept your true identity in Christ, then you can truly accept yourself and love yourself for who you are in Christ. And that will help fuel a supernatural love for other people. And I think that's part of what he's talking about here in 1 John. Now, it's interesting because he says, did you notice this? It says, I don't give you a new command, but I do give you a new commandment. Is that a contradiction? No. He's saying, I'm not giving you a new commandment in the sense that this has been taught in all of the Bible. It's even in the Old Testament. But I am giving you a new commandment in that now it's an inner fueled love. And you see that in verse 8 where it says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. There's the key. The key to loving others is realizing who lives inside of you. So it's new in the sense that now, because of the new covenant, Ezekiel 36, we have a new nature, a new heart, and a new spirit. And that's what fuels this supernatural love. Now, I wasn't sure I was going to end today this way, but I, I, I am. I want to conclude by looking at a very small phrase that really leaped off the page to me this week. It's in verse 8. It's on the screen. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It says the darkness is passing away and yet many times in our world it seems that the darkness is only getting darker, doesn't it? Putin invading Ukraine. Babies being killed in the womb. Sexual immorality rampant. Abuse all around us, depression on the rise, addictions gripping many, and our country and world and its values being less and less God-honoring, and it can get discouraging. And in such times, it's important to be reminded that eventually this darkness is passing away because the true light, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. And His kingdom is not of this world, He said, but His kingdom will reign forever and ever. So, beloved, in a day and age where darkness seems to be so prevalent and dominant, it is important to be reminded that Jesus is sovereign, that He is superior to all, that He is more powerful than any person or power or nation or influence, and He will eventually destroy all sin, Satan, sickness, and evil, and He's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth where only love and purity and righteousness dwells for all of eternity. Hallelujah be to God. In other words, Jesus wins. His light cannot be extinguished. His kingdom cannot be stopped. His will cannot be overcome. And His word will fully come to pass. Darkness will be defeated and will one day be fully eradicated. Dictators like Vladimir Putin will one day be completely squelched. The Supreme Court of the United States will eventually stop ruling. World powers will not reign forever, but Jesus will reign forever. He's the light of the world, and His will will fully come to pass. 
And the Bible says in Philippians 2, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm here to declare to you today that I've read the final chapter and I know how it ends. Jesus wins and all who are on his team win. We may appear to lose some games leading to the Super Bowl, but I'm here to tell you that we will be in the Super Bowl and we may fall behind even in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl with only one minute remaining, but in the end, Jesus wins and we win. That is promised. That is guaranteed. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his word will not pass away and what he has said will happen. So it is important that you know that you're on Jesus' team. Amen? So if today you look at these four evidences of a true follower of Jesus, they receive the righteousness of God, they live in obedience, they are increasingly becoming like Jesus, and they love people. If you look at that and you say, you know what, I'm not sure I'm saved. Today, receive Christ. This is the beginning right here. This is what makes all the others happen. Don't try to do the others to get this. You receive this by faith. You surrender your life to Christ. And you invite him to forgive you of your sins. Take control of your life. May today be a day where you get clarity. May today be a day where if you're not saved, you get saved. And you begin to see God produce these changes in you and through you. And if you are saved, let it be a time where you just rejoice. Rejoice in your righteousness. Rejoice in the fact that God is producing changes from the inside out. All right, let's take a few questions. Raise your hand or text men. A good one that was asked at the end of first, and I didn't get to it, but I'll do it here. What are the commandments that we are to keep? Because there's 613 in the Old Testament. <laughs> well, I would say this. Jesus answered that by saying, all of the law and the commandments are summarized in what? Love the Lord with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments fit under that, those two umbrellas. Keep the Sabbath day holy. That's to love God. Don't kill somebody. That's one way of, not, of loving others. Don't commit adultery because when you commit adultery, you're not loving your spouse. It's not true love. So I would say you don't focus because that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were focusing all the meticulous rules and thinking they had to obey them and it was a self-righteous obedience. Jesus says, look, come into relationship with me and then what you focus on is to love God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. And the Holy Spirit shows you how to do this. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads you. We're not driven by the, by the written law. We're driven and empowered and led by the indwelling Holy Spirit. He will lead you. He will guide you. What else? Raise your hand. Text it in. One question that came in, doesn't Scripture call us to hold one another accountable? Yes, but it's not a hold each other accountable to a legalistic, self-righteous obedience. It's hold each other accountable to that loving, growing, intimate relationship with Christ so that when someone is drifting or someone is backsliding, that's a good term, it's a good term, they've slidden back, 
They, they, they become like the prodigal. They, they've gone, they've moved into the flesh, and they've forsaken the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are. The way to love each other is to lovingly say, Brother, I'm concerned about you. Brother, I love you enough to point this out. So that's the proper way in which it's to happen. It's not a legalistic thing, but it's a, it's a, if we see somebody drift, we should go after that one lost sheep, so to speak, lost within the body if they've slidden back and they've moved into the flesh. And so we should go and love them enough to speak the truth in love. We, we love them right where they're at. We don't judge and condemn them, but we express that concern and we say, brother, you know, we help, to, we help, help them repent. Bible says in Galatians 6, 1, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So bearing others' burdens is a way of loving them. Loving them enough to tell them the truth, but not in a condemning, shameful way. Mm. Good question. Um, what does the Bible say about falling back into the same sins over and over? Why do we keep falling and how do we recover? Okay, good question. Because in Hebrews 12, it talks about the sin which so easily entangles you. And we all have those areas that we're most prone to fall in. And I would say when we continually fall in those same areas, that's a good signal to get some healthy biblical counseling. Bring it up to somebody. Get prayer ministry. Get the input of others. And ask the Lord to show you the root cause. And that's where His Holy Spirit can reveal to you maybe the root cause. It could be because of something in your childhood. It could be because of some abuse you've been through, and that's fueling this. And so I just say press in. God can give you victory, but often that's a signal that you need the help of, of someone else. Don't just go at it alone. That's what the body of Christ is for. could be a demonic spirit that needs deliverance. Yes, Christians can have demonic spirits that need to be removed. Just because you get saved, it doesn't mean that there can't be still demonic influence in your life. And so this could be a signal that maybe it's a stronghold of the enemy that needs to be delivered. Be vulnerable enough and humble enough to get the help of an outsider, of somebody within the body of Christ that can give good, solid biblical counseling. All right, well, let's begin to prepare for communion. Worship team, if you'd come out. Now we have the privilege of partaking in the bread and the juice. And today you're going to notice if you eat the bread slowly, it's sweet bread. It's got a slight sweet taste to it. And we did that intentionally today. Even the gluten-free is sweet. Because we wanted this to be a physical reminder that the gospel of Jesus is sweet. The righteousness that we have in Christ is sweet. There's power in the death and resurrection of Jesus and it gives us a sweetness with God. And so as you partake of communion today, let it be a celebration of the wonderful, glorious sweetness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we believe here at Living Hope that there is healing power if you partake of communion in the right manner with a heart that's yielded to Christ. There can be powerful healing in communion. And I base that on 1 Corinthians 11 where it says the misuse of the Lord's Supper can result in physical ailments. Well, then why can't the proper partaking of the Lord's Supper be, uh, result in healing and restoration? And so today as you partake, 
Let it be a time of celebration and joy and a reminder of your new identity in Christ and all that's available to you through the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word today and your spirit. Now, as we partake of communion, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, let this time of partaking be a time of joy, be a time of reminder, and we just thank you for the sweetness of the gospel. We partake now with joy, thanking you for all that you've done for us and all that you've made us to be in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage our prayer team and our elders to partake first and be available to pray with people. You've got plenty of time for this. It's going to be non-rushed. You come when you're ready. Maybe today is the day when you receive Christ and you surrender your heart to the Lord. You come and partake when you're ready.